Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Every year, around 8 to 10 women die during or shortly after childbirth in Ireland. Currently, there are no automatic inquests for such maternal deaths, and many families have spent years trying to find out why their wives, girlfriends, daughters and mothers have died. New laws establishing mandatory inquests into these deaths passed the committee stage on December 21st, 2018, a bill which has come after years of campaigning by Independence for Change, TD Claire Daly, and organisations like the Elephant Collective, highlighting the deaths of women like Sally Rowlett, Savita Halapanavar and Malak Tholi, The Elephant Collective says these inquests are crucial to improving Ireland's maternity services. Dr Joe Murphy-Lawless, a sociologist at the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Trinity, is a leading member of the group. She joins me now to talk about this bill and about a travelling exhibition by the campaign, which is in Wexford for the next few weeks. Dr. Murphy Lawless, you're very welcome to the Women's Podcast. First of all, can I just ask you to explain what is meant by maternal death? It's it's a very important question, a very important definition. The WHO defines maternal death as the death of um, any woman in childbirth or following childbirth up to six weeks after the baby is born. There is also a category known as late maternal deaths, which is from 42 days, six weeks after the baby is born, into the first year of what the, of what the baby's life um, is. Okay. So tell us about the situation that has been in place in Ireland, you know, until very recently, and we'll talk about the bill, which is so important. Um, but what was the situation before when women in Ireland died as a result of maternal deaths? Okay. Um, maternal deaths obviously have always occurred, but as uh, our understandings of really good maternity care have evolved um, in the developed world, those figures for maternal deaths have come down, 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 down. However, here in Ireland, we actually didn't know how many maternal deaths we had because until 2009, we were not adequately collecting the statistics on these figures from each maternity unit around the country. Now, was that, just to interrupt you slightly there, was that different to how it would have been in other countries up to 2009? How soon had had places like the UK and other countries got with the programme and realised we need to start, you know, collecting this information? The UK had got with the programme very early on in the 1950s and had instituted... <laughs> Sorry, I'm raising my eyes I there. I can see your eyes, eyebrows going up, yes. <laughs> oh dear. Um, they had instituted a national um, inquiry into maternal deaths from the early 1950s. That was a triennial inquiry. It was confidential. It was called the National Confidential Inquiry. And each hospital or unit, when a death occurred, would submit 
the reasons for that death to that National Confidential Inquiry, that inquiry team would go over all the reasons for those deaths and begin to say, well, we have a pattern emerging here. We need to sharpen our maternity care in respect of septicemia, for example. Um, and we need far, far better guidelines and far better training on septicemia. Let's do that. Let's go for that. We did not get to that okay. until Can the I beginning ask of 2000. Because you are the expert, you've, you've, you've looked at this issue for so, in, from so many different angles. Why do you think Ireland has been so slow to care and probably, properly um, sort of annotate the, the deaths of these women? I hesitate because I feel so strongly about this. I often wonder if because we were a colonised country, in turn the patriarchy in this society sought to completely colonize women's lives. And I really feel that there's um, at the root of it that that is what it is, that somehow or another women's lives simply did not matter very much. And I think we've seen that throughout the 20th century in Ireland. And all of us, all of us have lived with the chaos and the pain and the grief of the many, many tragedies we've had in so many different directions around women's reproductive lives. We had no such understanding of reproductive justice in this country at all. The women's movement has gained that understanding. It did not come from the professionals in the first instance. And the professionals in the first instance were not the midwives, I may say, who, bear in mind, Noel Brown seemed to be so important politically as a voice of the left and for women with the mother and child scheme. He downgraded midwife status in 1950. He wanted them called obstetric nurses because he thought that would give them more prestige. That says everything about where midwifery has been in this country. This is a problem of the upper echelons of the legal and medical professions. Who are mostly our, men? Absolutely. And of our policymakers. That's the historical trajectory. So you're, you're talking, and do you have any basis for this or any sort of even uh, things that you can point to, that you're talking about a sort of misogynistic culture, really, where the, the women dying in, in childbirth or after childbirth, their deaths weren't seen as, you know, something that needed to be reported. In the same way, there's automatic reporting of uh, women who are murdered or people who are killed in all sorts of different um, situations. But, on, but, but maternal deaths were not ones to be recorded or on, looked at. Or under explored. the 1962 Coroner's Act, they were reported to coroners around the country, but coroners were not necessarily uh, mandated to act on those deaths and to hold an inquest. Are there any other deaths that would have had that kind of, um, you know, you don't have to re report on them? We have not had mandatory reporting of stillbirths. We will now have mandatory reporting of stillbirths as a result of the legislation going through the Dáil at present. I believe there's been difficulty with deaths in prisons. I don't know much about that. It's not my field. But I believe there have been difficulties around other areas, other small okay. areas. So we're sort of saying it's the patriarchy. It's the fact that women's lives didn't seem to matter as much? I think I would argue that. It was only in 2007 that um, very brave, two brave, very very brave obstetricians in, in Hollis Street wrote a letter and said, we've got to get real. Wrote a letter to the Irish Medical Times and said, we've got to get real about maternal deaths in this country. We actually do not know what is happening. And, and as a result of not knowing, it meant that we couldn't look and see, like you talked about in the UK, where they were looking at patterns, so then exactly. improve services in various areas. So exactly. as a result, you'd have the same things happening again and again because we weren't identifying them. Yes, that's exactly it. 
That's exactly it. And under Article 2 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which gives the right to life, it also has, as part of that article, the right for families and next of kin to know why a person has died suddenly. And it also says that there has to be a right, there has to be a remedy to why that person has died. There had to be a remedy for continuing patterns of maternal deaths. So tell us what's changed now. I know that Claire Daly has been at the forefront politically of this issue and the Elephant Collective, which you're involved in as well, has been massively campaigning on it. So what is this bill going to do that that has been brought in? The um, the bill has uh, has passed its third stage in the Doyle on the 12th of December. Um, we hope that it will have speedy passage now through the rest of the stages in the Doyle and then through the Shannage. Um, we hope to have the bill uh, signed into law, we hope, by March. Uh, and it will require mandatory inquests for all maternal deaths. Uh, and that that is going to um, uh, enable us to begin to really bring out what is going on. Now, I must say that in 2009, uh, the Irish Department of Health did approach the British Department of Health, and we did finally join the national, the UK National Confidential Inquiry, which has been in train since the 1950s. However, I would say that I think there's quite a quite a difference between what the Maternal Death Inquiry has done here in Cork, and it has collected the statistics absolutely faithfully. Um, but the Embrace name, the new name for the National Confidential Inquiry in the UK, the overarching body, they've gone much further and they've set up maternal mortality networks to begin to try to really get to the absolute detail of bringing these um, uh, maternal deaths down further. Um, The World Health Organization would say that 88 to 98 percent of all maternal deaths are avoidable. We need to think about the avoidable factors. That's incredible. I wouldn't have ever thought that it would be so high, but that's a huge, huge percentage. Talk to me about Claire Daly, and, and I know that you are such an admirer of what she's done on this issue. She's been fantastic. She and her team, uh, Aideen O'Sullivan, Rona McCord and Liz Casson, have been absolutely tremendous in backing us every um, single step of the way. This began in... 2014, when we had three inquests that autumn for women, Dara Kivelhan's inquest was in September, Nora Highland's inquest was in November, and Sally Roulette's inquest was in December. I was teaching midwifery students in uh, the School of Nursing Midwifery in Trinity College, and my students' morale was going down, down, down. We had already pushed, uh, my students and myself had pushed to get, with a very crack legal team, I may say, Colin McGeehan's legal team, they were tremendous altogether um, uh, uh, in, 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 in getting an inquest for a woman who had died in the Rotunda Hospital in 2010, Bimbo Onanuga. Um, at first, the coroner felt on the basis of the post-mortem report that he received that it was a natural death and there was no uh, further action needed. And I think that's exactly the difficulty that we face. Yes, deaths can be uh, classified as natural, of course, but there's a train of events uh, leading up to a woman's death, to the death of a healthy young woman in our maternity hospital. She was 32, wasn't she? Yes. How has that happened? What has that been about? What are the consequences? How are our systems failing to support women? How are we failing to support, and I would I would name midwives and junior doctors in our system adequately, um, the whole business of the resourcing of our maternity services. All of these are issues which lie behind any given maternal death. But talk to me about your students then. You said morale was going down. So they were yes. seeing these women, you know. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were seeing, they, they were disturbed by 
um, inadequate care in hospitals. They were coming off shift themselves. They were coming, they were seeing senior midwives coming off shift and saying, postnatal, what has it been like in there today? 32 women to look after, 34 babies. Did I get back to that woman in time towards the very end to give her pain relief? She had been asking me and asking me and I was running around trying to deal with everybody's needs. The any woman, any woman in this country going into our antenatal clinics will, will will say how crowded they are. And they can see midwives are doing, absolutely trying and stretching to do their best. But that's the problem. Stretched, stretched, stretched to the point of breaking. And it's one reason, of course, why our midwives are qualifying and leaving. You mentioned some of those women who died and in yes. the inquest were in this short space of time. And that kind yes. of spurred you on. Tell us about those women and tell us about um, how you kind of came to found the the group then? Okay. Uh, Dara Kivlin uh, died in uh, Sligo General Hospital. Well, she didn't die in Sligo, actually. She died in Belfast. She collapsed in Sligo General Hospital uh, from what we call HELP syndrome, from what is called HELP syndrome, which is um, the, the, the colloquial name for it, the commonplace name for it, would be severe preeclampsia. Um, so she gave birth to her baby boy, um, and she was then absolutely critically um, ill, um, she was airlifted to Belfast um, um, uh, to the hospital there. Um, her husband, Michael Kivlihan, fought for four years to get an inquest for her um, because it was cross-border. Uh, North of Ireland judiciary ruled that it couldn't be there and he finally needed, did Michael, um, uh, uh, an order from the Attorney General here to hold an inquest in this jurisdiction. And that was the one held in September 2014. Nora Highland died in uh, uh, Hollis Street um, Hospital um, in 2012. She died on the um, operating table. Um, she was having cesarean. She needed uh, blood supplies. There was a 37-minute um, delay in getting blood supplies up from the laboratory, the blood that she needed, to uh, the operating theatre. Um, that's what the inquest found in November 2014. Sally Roulette's inquest in December 2014, all of these had a finding of medical misadventure, as did Bimbo's uh, death, as did Jennifer Crean's death, as did Evelyn Flanagan's death, as did Tanya McCabe's death, as did Svita Halepanavar's death. Um, um, I... Dara's death from preeclampsia was exactly replicated by Sally Roulette's death from preeclampsia in the same hospital. So the sorts of undertakings that might, could or should have been made by the HSE um, in saying, what are we going to do about severe preeclampsia? How do we monitor, train, etc., etc.? How do we reinforce um, procedures in any given hospital if this doesn't happen again? But Sally died from so, the same death. So tell me about the movement that came out of this then, the absolute horror of what was happening and having to do something about it. There's a senior midwife in the UK named Sarah Wickham. And Sarah rang me up one morning when I was particularly low, I have to say. And she said, why are you low? And I said, because the students are so low and I don't know what to do for them. And there's another inquest coming in December. And she said, Joe, why don't you get them knitting? Why don't you, why, why don't you get them knitting a quilt? So I did. Um, I, who cannot put two needles together... <laughs> Um, never mind, did it. Um, and it, and it grew from there. And by February 2015, the students were knitting away, the students' children were knitting away, the students' mothers and grandmothers were knitting away, people began to knit from other parts of the country, we began to write to groups in what other parts of the country. What was the quilt about? What were you trying to do? What we wanted to try to do was to evoke 
uh, the strength and the power of the women's lives, of the women who had died. For example, on uh, the square that we did, the large square that we did for Bimba Onanuga, each of the eight women um, whom I've named there have a special square. Um, and uh, the one for Bimba Onanuga has what her widower wanted. Um, it's, a, it's a word in Yoruba, and it means Oluwatamiya, God called me to him. And he, and he wanted those in colours that Bimbo had especially liked. Um, all the other uh, large squares also have, um, we hope, something which um, made sense of the women's lives who had died, which had some special connection to them. Um, and so it's about remembering and, and marking these deaths, but also then it's, about yes. campaign, political campaign. It's too. remembering, it's marking it, it's marking it through arts activism, but that's had quite quite, quite, quite a um, matrix built around it. We had the initial quilt, Martina Heinen, uh, the wonderful artist from um, Ennis who had set up Claire Birth Joyce many years ago, um, went and did a series of portraits of all of our eight women, um, uh, which were absolutely tremendously um, evoking in the exhibition. Um, other women craft groups, Dorian Fitzmaurice down in Wexford, every single exhibition we had, Dorian would go and set up local craft groups to come into the exhibition, and they've left their work behind them as well, which has all been incorporated into uh, in, 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 into the exhibition as, as things have gone on. So we had the arts activi activism aspect of it, we had the writing aspect to it. We had the legislation aspect to it. Claire introduced a private member's bill in July 2015 to begin to get mandatory inquests. There was some hesitation on the part of the government, I may say. Um, Mary Howard, Fianna Gael councillor out in Ennis, went to see one of our exhibitions out in County Clare, came away and said, this is ridiculous. What can I do about this? If I if, if if I go out of this building today and the slate falls off the roof and kills me, there's going to have to be an inquest. And a woman is dying in a maternity hospital and there's no inquest. So she asked Clare County Council to pass a unanimous motion to the Minister for Justice and the government that this legislation um, go through and be made law. And that opened up a whole new seam of activism for us. 24 county councils and city councils backed us in the end on the legislation. We think that was very critical in enabling the government to see that people all over the country were taking note of this and were concerned and distressed and upset. You mentioned resistance. I'm interested in that. Uh, do you have any moments where you heard things or saw things that you were like, oh my God, I can't believe people are resisting this because it seems like such an obvious thing. I think if one goes back to the debate in the Doyle in December 2015, which was the second stage for what was then Clare's private members bill, you can see the government spokesman for that day talking about the need to um, not, not, not put any more pressure on families to go through an inquest who have lost a loved one. And that was an odd sort of distinction because, as Mary Howard rightly said, if the slate fell off the roof and killed her, her family was going to have to go through the inquest. It didn't quite make sense. And one has a sense that it connects back to that unthinking kind of patriarchy, which says, well, 
poor families, poor women, they're not really able for it. They're not really able for it at all. And, and of course, the the thing is that these families are left, um, you know, with no answers. So it's actually it's so important that people get told this is exactly what happened to your loved one. The and family, that's a big part of it, isn't it? It's a massive part of it. The families are left with no answers. And I may say also the clinicians are left with no connected up picture of what is going on. And that larger picture that I mentioned at the outset of the National Maternal Confidential Inquiry, we really need to know. Uh, when Tanya McCabe died in Our Lady of Lords in 2007, the HSC did um, uh, draw up septicemia guidelines at that point. But we only found out in the HICWA report published after Savita Halepinavra's death that only five of our 19 maternity units had actually implemented those septicemia requirements. Um, that did not include uh, University Hospital Galway, so this, where Savita died. So this bill is really good news. And the exhibition kind of is, a, so in some ways, a celebration of the women who died, a memorial to them, but also yes. a, a marking of the fact that things are changing, that we are going to be in a better position, hopefully, you know, in the in the coming years than we have been in the past. So tell us uh, just briefly about the exhibition and where it is and where people can see okay. all this wonderful um, work. The exhibition has begun in Wexford on Friday the 11th of January, and it will continue into February. And there will be a special session on arts activism in um, February, led by our own um, resident artist, Martina Heinen. Um, And as with all the other exhibitions we've held, 12 around the country thus far, there will be a panel discussion, and we will be trying to canvas all of these issues and and to perhaps enable people in the locality where they are to begin to think about, well, what should we be asking of our maternity services here? And I just want to point out that um, people will talk about the National Maternity Strategy, which was published three years ago in 2016, and this is now 2019, I, 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 I note. Um, we have only two midwifery-led units in this country. The north of Ireland, just over the border, has 11. It would help if the National Maternity Strategy, published three years ago, would actually get going with putting one brick laid down for a midwifery-led unit, another one to add to the two that we have here in this country. It would help enormously if we even came up to the level of the provision of services in Northern Ireland for maternity care. And I think we could do a whole other episode on that as to why the midwife-led example doesn't seem to be something that in Republic of Ireland, at least, that we seem to be on board with when we know uh, for so many different reasons and so many studies have shown how great it is for women and for just for everyone. Absolutely. We do know that the legislation uh, having mandatory inquests will enable us to get um, evidence and understandings of what has not happened in any given maternity hospital. What's that been about? Why have the resources been so stretched? What has happened here? What needed to happen? We need that information as part of the public domain if we are absolutely to secure women's health in maternity care in this country. Thank you very much, Dr. Joe Murphy-Lawless, for all your dedication and your work, and also, as you said, to Claire Daly and her team, and also to the civil servants and people in government who've worked really hard on this to, to make this a reality. So hopefully, as I say, better things in the future, but a lot more to be done. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Thanks to Dr. Joe Murphy-Lawless for speaking to us about that very important issue. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always find us on irishtimes.com with lots of other good shows like Worldview and Inside Politics. You can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.
Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.